Hello and welcome to a Karakisu podcast. Today we'll be discussing transitioning from school to the functional neurology practice. If you would like to learn more about the application of clinical neuroscience in your practice, please visit karakinstitute.com. Hello, my name is Dr. Freddy Garcia, and today we're going to be speaking to Dr. Michael Lovich. Dr. Lovich, can you hear me? You hear loud and clear. Super. Hey, thank you for taking time out of your day to see us. And we're having you on the Karakasut Podcast Show because we want to actually uh, create a podcast that uh, is for the students, for those students who are kind of getting out of either chiropractic, medical school, physical therapy, or chiropractic. Because uh, today's topic is transitioning from school to the functional neurology practice. And, uh, and then at the end, we have a little list of things I wish I had known when I graduated. So I think this is going to be a great share. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Can't wait. Uh, excellent. So first of all, uh, it's the first time on the show, Dr. Lovich, so I'm glad to have you on. I've known you for some time now. I have a great amount of respect for you. But uh, some of the people listening may not know who you are. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a uh, chiropractic functional neurologist. I practice in Brookline, Massachusetts. I'm board certified by the American Chiropractic Neurology Board. And I also hold a master's degree in sports medicine. I've been practicing for about two and a half years now, and I opened up my own practice right here in Brookline in May of last year. Yeah, what's what's the name of your practice? Delta S Performance. Delta S Performance, fantastic. So, uh, so two and a half years, you're still a fairly new doctor. So I, I think this is going to be great because you really, you you've lived the things that you're going to be talking about today. Yeah, and to be honest, two and a half years, and I feel like I know nothing, and I hope it stays that way for the next ten years too. That means I'm most likely doing it right. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. Uh, we're going to talk about that later. So before we get into this, so, so you have a functional neurology practice, but some people may not even know what that is. So what, what is functional neurology from your perspective in your own words? So functional neurology is different from, it, functional neurology is the application of applied clinical neuroscience. Mm-hmm. And what that means is Think about it like this. When you go to a medical neurologist, they're looking for big, bad, uglies. They're looking for Mm -hmm. things, tumors, they're looking for bleeds, they're looking for life-threatening situations. And in reality, what happens is patients will go there, they'll find out that all the tests come back normal, they're not in a life-threatening situation, but they still have symptoms and they'll still have a decreased quality of life. Mm -hmm. So what happens is then they come to a functional neurologist who not only looks not only double checks because we want to we want to double check to make sure that nothing that was missed is continues to be missed but we also go beyond that and we not only look at if it's working but how well is it working and what can be done to improve the functionality of those central nervous systems got it so it's uh i mean because we all learn neuroscience in school right but i i, I distinctly remember even my experience going through chiropractic school and, learn, and taking a year of neuroscience courses, and, and you're right, it's kind of it's those structural lesions, kind of like the tumors or strokes. Like if somebody, you know, a Romberg's test, they close their eyes and they fall off to the side. But you're talking about the shades of gray. Yes, and in reality, how many times have you you've been in practice? How many times have you seen somebody walk in whose textbook? It, well, not off, not often enough, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that would make I w- it easy. Yeah, all right. I, w- I wish it was like the books wrote it out. 
Yeah, and but in reality, nobody walks in textbook, and you need to have this thorough foundational understanding of the nervous system. So when you go to when you're going through school, you end up learning a lot of neuroanatomy, and then you learn some neurophysiology. And if you think about it, how long has this has a study of the brain been around? It's impossible to teach everything that there is to know up to date within a one semester or a two semester course. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot left there to be learned. But one of the one of the issues that I saw with the program was it stops there and we're not and we need to be shown where to go beyond that. And that's actually where Carrick Institute came in and was really helpful because it gave me an opportunity to plug some holes that I in my knowledge base when I was a student and continue to learn and give me a direction to go in so I can continue to do research on my own and to learn and plug more holes and actually put together an ever-growing uh, knowledge base of functional neurology and neurologic and clinical neuroscience in general. I, I, you know, I like what you just said because I think that's a, a concept that a lot of students need really need to wrap their heads around. It's uh, you you leave school and you'd like to think that you have all the tools you need, but just like you said, you're still plugging holes. You're trying to develop the most true model to help as many patients as you possibly can, as deeply as possible, really care for them, really serve them. And, uh, and that's not what you leave school with. And we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Hey, Dr. Lovich, one of the things that I've, uh, that I enjoyed reading from you in the past is you have this rubber band analogy when it comes to trying to explain functional neurology. Yeah, I use a rubber band analogy as a way to connect the central nervous system function to a musculoskeletal picture. Mm -hmm. So the way it goes is imagine you had a a rubber band tied around your thumb and forefinger. Mm -hmm. If you pluck it, it makes a noise. Sure. Think of that as your biceps muscle going from your elbow to your shoulder. If through proprioception, which is how your brain maps out where your body is in space, there is something wrong with the muscle it's going to decrease that proprioceptive feedback to the brain, or it's going to decrease the sound of the rubber band to your ear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What ends up happening is, or if there's an issue with the brain itself, the brain won't be able to hear as well. So what does the brain do in order to hear the muscle better? It's going to then tighten up that muscle using uh, various systems, uh, specifically the gamma motor system, and increase the tone of the muscle and now when you increase the tone or the the stretch on the rubber band and you pluck it now you get a more resonant note so think about it like this if you're if you're an athlete and you're and you're working out and you injure your biceps muscle now your brain doesn't know where it is in space it's going to react by increasing tone of the muscle as a compensation in order to find out where it is now, if you go in with your soft tissue work, what most likely is going to happen is you're going to stretch out that muscle. It's going to feel better, but you're actually removing the brain's compensation for that muscle when the problem was most likely never in that in the muscle anyway, since we're talking about a brain issue. And now the brain doesn't know where to use that muscle or it doesn't know how to appropriately use that muscle because the stretch is off. And it has to retighten up the muscles to figure out where things are. That's where we come in with functional neurology and we use various brain-based modalities to improve the brain's ability to integrate not only with the body, but the environment around the body through visual and vestibular systems as well. 
Awesome. I love that because I think it gives you like a really good visual and it kind of illustrates how that interplay between the lower systems and the higher systems, the interplay between your your joints and your brain and how your brain dictates your movement, your muscles, and the way those joints are going to move. So I think it's one of those things that <clears throat> you don't really leave school with, and, and that's part of the issue, isn't it? That's the whole thing. In reality, it's one body. Everything's connected. As much as we like to segment things into individual systems and focus only on one system, for example, the gut versus the gut-brain axis, in reality, in order to have a comprehensive approach, we really have to work our way systematically and thoroughly through all of the individual systems and then come over again and figure out how they all connect and integrate. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Love it. Hey, so let's, uh, you know, I got to ask you, I, I've always appreciated the way you've thought because I, I like the way you kind of go through things in your mind. Does you have this certain mindset? It's almost like, it's almost like a researcher. That's probably why I like it. Um, how did how did you acquire that? Like, where so, did that all come from? Yeah, I really appreciate. It. That's a huge compliment to me because my goal is to get, enter research at some point in my life. But for now, actually, the way I got to this was I went to Rutgers University. Go, are you? Uh, <laughs> Good school. Good school. And I ended up with degrees in geology and marine science. So you put those together as a climatology. Uh, But this is really important because where my scientific journey began is this one class in particular. So it was a graduate level course in extensional tectonics. And that's what really shaped my mindset. Basically, what we did every week was we had to find a research paper that had to do with the current research project we were working on or assisting a graduate student on. And we'd have to rip it apart. We'd have to go through the paper, through the materials and methods, and make sure that they even use quality ideas to start off and design the research study with. We'd have to have to go through the results and say, do these results actually, are these useful results? And we're not just looking at it like, what's the p-value and is it, is it significant? But we're looking at it like, let's say we made this research project or this research paper. Is it, do the results even hold water? Hmm. And then... After that, do, does their discussion and their impression afterwards even correlate to what the results showed and what the materials showed? So we had to go through and then as the final way to close out each week is we had to create an abstract different. It, it would have to be different from the one that was already on the paper, but we would have to make an abstract from the rest of the research rest of the research paper and try and work on doing that and practice creating abstracts. So it gave me a big appreciation for how about the complexity of doing research how it's not just you do a paper you publish it and like there you go now it's fact in reality there's caveats to everything so when i go through reading like neurological research or clinical neuroscience or chiropractic or even any sort of physical medicine research now now i physically can't just read the title and stop i have to keep going i have to read the paper because I don't trust the titles anymore. But it's a great thing to do because now I skeptically think about things and it allows me to really build a strong foundation of my knowledge base, but it also allows me to be sure of what I know and then be ready to change what I think I know if better research comes out. That's actually, I didn't know that background for you. I, I think, so I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm like, I think that's what I would call you. I'd, I would call you an open-minded skeptic. 
you know, because <laughs> you do question everything. But I think that's what kind of uh, leads to your uh, clinical acumen, because I know you are very well read, very well, and, and, and you look into all those things, which is what raises you clinically, right? You're not guessing. But at the same time, you're willing to kind of explore things with your patients, which is why you're getting a very good reputation clinically. I appreciate that. And I, to be honest, even to a point, there is some guessing, but I like to say I've got enough backup to say that I'm more, it's more of like a reasonable assumption. And then it comes into can you, how are your clinical skills? Are they good enough to test, try an intervention, and then retest and see is your what your thought process, what you're going, what's going on up, up top, is that actually holding water is that true yeah no that makes a lot of sense hey so let's let's get into this a little deeper we're we were kind of talking about uh things we had known during school and you were telling me about the bubbles right so let's talk about one of the first bubbles there's the the school bubble what's the school bubble so the school bubble is where you learn textbook and foundational information it's in even an even better way to put it it's where you learn structure determines function when in reality, it can be more the opposite. It can be function determined structure, especially over time in a living system, or it could be is more about the interplay between the two. And when you're learning from, let's say, in the chiropractic school or a physical therapy school, where you're learning about how muscles and joints work, and you're like, this is how it works. It moves in this direction. But in reality, if like the anterior muscles are tighter than the posterior muscles, then it's already off axis. And now you're having a different internal axis of rotation, and it's changing the it's changing the function through a functional uh, means. But then over time, as things wear and as wear and tear occurs, you now change the structure to the joint. Hmm. So, so I guess the school, the purpose of the school is to kind of give you that baseline, that baseline education. Yeah, it's to teach you minimal competency. And not in a I'm not saying minimal competency in a bad way because minimal legal requirements is necessary because you want to make sure when somebody comes into your office that you know enough to not put somebody else's life in danger and you know enough to to manage risk in the most appropriate way. But at the same time, no like we've already mentioned once in this podcast that nobody walks in textbook. Nobody walks in exactly how you how you learned it in class. So you need to have this adaptability to how people walk in, to, to observing people when they walk in and to uh, evaluating them in a comprehensive way. And now I have a lot of colleagues who are in the medical field and the physical therapy field and the athletic training field. And we, and we talk about what we learn and we always say that we learned a comprehensive approach to healthcare, but in reality, comprehensive is subjective. And it all comes down to the, to put it simply, that you don't know what you don't know. And we talk often, my friends and I, we talk often, and we try to uh, question each other. We try to figure out, hey, what are you thinking happens here? Why do you think that? And then you say, that way you can always get a second opinion, and you can always learn more about it so potentially when the next person comes in or even that same patient when you do a follow-up with them you can take a couple steps back and say hey look i just found out something new i want to test this way and see if it we if that comes up with with anything sure 
So, uh, all right. So now we're leaving the school bubble. Let's talk about the intern bubble. So this is somebody who's just either just left school or what they had to do before they leave school, right? What do you mean by intern, I guess, nowadays? So the intern in the chiropractic profession, you have uh, a clinical internship inside the student clinic. Mm-hmm. And it's where you learn from uh practitioners who have been there for 5, 10, 20, 30 years and have a wealth of clinical clinical experience and knowledge. And you can get caught up in that wealth of clinical experience and knowledge because they all learn from one perspective. And they learn from the perspective that they learned years ago. And if they, it's impossible to keep up with all the new research. So you always know there's a hint of clinical bias. And in an evidence-based approach, clinical uh, clinical acumen or clinical experience is super important, but it also has to be married up to what the current research is sh- saying in terms of randomized controlled trials, or as best we can. Um, the reason why I say as best we can is because when we work with the functional systems, and what we're trying to do is isolate a single variable from a multivariable system, and we're never going to find a randomized control s- study out there that's going to say that having them balance on their right leg is going to activate this one area in the brain and only this one area. We can give this therapeutic dose for this amount of time to create that. So it really comes down to the marriage between clinical experience and uh, background knowledge and uh, research studies that we can put together to, to make the best opportunity for the patient. Now, what we do in the intern bubble is we're trying, that's where our first dipping the toe in, like, trying to figure out exactly what's going on when we're trying to put those three things together. And we end up summing it all up with something known as observation over understanding. And the thing is, you get all this textbook information, but how good is it if you're seeing things, but you aren't really observing things? Mm. And that's the most important part, because you can learn about spontaneous nystagmus versus end gaze nystagmus, but what if but if you don't observe it in the clinical situation right in front of you in the patient in front of you does it mean anything is it even worthwhile in reality you need to build those observational skills and sometimes when you're in that intern bubble you're so busy trying to figure out what to do for the patient sitting in front of you that you're missing some apparently obvious signs just staring right at you in the face I love it. So the intern bubble, two things that stuck out to me from the intern bubble is something that you just kind of made me realize that you're right. As we're interning, we have, we're overseeing somebody. We are being biased to the, to the model that that are, uh, who's the person who oversees the interns? Your, your preceptor or your attending clinician. Yeah, Yeah. You're being biased towards the model that the attending clinician has. And kind of interesting to think about because that's a that has a very big impression on any clinician that's about to come out of school and uh, so it's kind of interesting to think about and the, the second point that stuck out to me is what you just said about um, seeing versus observing and this sticks out to me because we have uh, a new program coming out the receptor-based essentials and in our intro class that's one of the things we actually spend some time on to talk about the difference between seeing and observing because there's so many things that we've always seen but we never truly observed them we never really um, took them in and and known what knew what that meant or what to do with that once it was truly observed so that thing is it's very insightful for you to kind of see that there 
Yeah, and that's, to be honest, that's why if you are a student and you're listening to this podcast, I highly recommend you do a preceptorship with somebody who is good at seeing these things as well. Uh, because it's the most important part of the job, but it's also the most difficult part of the job. And I, I was very lucky with my experience being able to be able to learn those skills. Cool. So let's hop on. The third bubble. The third bubble is the associate bubble. Tell me about this one. So the associate bubble, I had an individual experience where um, I was trying to bring functional neurology to an established sports medicine practice. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a master's degree in sports medicine, uh, and I also I also board certified in functional neurology. So I had this. So I spent a lot of time learning the applied aspects of clinical neurology. Mm -hmm. But what ended up happening was there was a struggle with the interplay in the associate position because because I had this more what I would put in my own um, humble way is a more extensive understanding of a functional model versus a structural model. But you're also trying to fit it under the bubble in which an established practicing doctor has been there. And their opinion is going to be different than your opinion. That's why it's called practice. And what ends up happening is there's ends up sometimes there's a miscommunication between ideas because what may be use how one practitioner may describe a situation can be completely might be completely different from a functional model or a functional neurological model. And it comes down to really making sure that um that your communication with the patient establishes you as different, at least from my perspective, is different from a chiropractor who may be only looking at a musculoskeletal model. Mm -hmm. And that actually led to uh, the next bubble, which is a transition to the real world, because that w me realizing sort of the order, an order of operations from my perspective and from my education made me think when a patient comes in, I always got to look at the neurology first. Mm -hmm. because it can be or may be the underlying things. And if you're not as evaluating for neurology and you're only using a structural mindset like with that rubber band analogy, you may be missing some things, prolonging care that uh, may be fixed quicker or improved quicker. And uh, it really comes down to really good communication with the, with the, as an associate working with somebody else. Got it. No, then that makes a lot of sense too. Hey, so let's go over this. We're going to, because I know you're a busy guy and I really appreciate your time today, Dr. Lovich. Let's go over the top three things you wish you had known when you were going through school. So what's number one? So the first thing and that I wish I knew, um, that you are your brand and it starts before school. And the reason why I say that is because it's, when you're in school, you still learn good information. You can still communicate to the world around you. You're st you as a student in chiropractic school or physical therapy school or medical school is still viewed by the public as a person with knowledge, a person with experience. Although you're still looking at the people above you like I, I'm never going to reach that high or I'm, or I still have so far to go. So what it means to me is like things I wish I did while I was in school. I wish while I was learning things and while I was doing other research, just kind of curious research, I wish I documented it a little bit better and put it together more because you never know what 
you learn then that maybe a new or novel idea that may help other people. So I see what you're saying. It's almost like uh, your identity starts developing before you leave school. And don't be afraid to kind of develop that. Like it's, you, it's almost like you, ex- I guess what you're saying is don't expect to come out of school and then arrive to your I- identity. It actually starts while you're in school and to, and to embrace that. Exactly. It's always a work in progress. You don't get your diploma and like magically you're now an official doctor. Yeah, it's like you arrived it, then, right? It's like no, it it, it, it it was happening for years, right? So you got to That's interesting. That's a that's a mindset shift. I think that'll be useful to a lot of students. Oh, for sure. I hope it really I hope it does help some students out. Now, the second thing I wish I knew while I was in school was to not be afraid of the learning process. So remember, when you see somebody up on stage or in front of the classroom and they don't, and they sound like they know everything, realize in most cases they don't. And you should question everything because your ideas may have the potential to be great. Uh, as long as it's, now, uh, one caveat to this, as long as it's pre- presented in an appropriate manner, you don't want to walk up there saying, hey, I've, I know this cool stuff and you should listen to me. It's, it's all about an exchange of ideas and mutual respect. It, you don't want to Kanye West them, you're saying? when, when You don't want to Kanye. Yeah, you don't want to pull a Kanye. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> no, and I, I think it's also very interesting to share too, right? Because you, it's going to keep developing and you, you'll see the people on stage. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky I get to travel and speak. And everybody seems so confident. Everybody seems so certain. And everybody has the answer. But uh, realistically, they're all learning the same way you are. And you have to kind of question all of that and then... And your idea in in the audience may be just as valid as the person on stage. You're just not on stage yet. Or maybe never will be, but you can take that concept, that idea, and give amazing healthcare to your patients. And to be honest, also for students who who go through the Carrick Institute and they sit for their neurology board, which I feel is important to do if you go through the program, um, when... My study partner, Dr. Kondos, and I were studying. We were looking at the people that we learned from, our mentors, the people who taught the, at the Carrick Institute. And we were thinking about how the, how well they have everything put together and the depth of knowledge that they know and how they started getting overwhelming because we were like we were trying to compare our functional neurology education to people who are really, really good and well-read. And we realized that we don't need to be that now. We just have to continue trying to get there. And it'll happen. That's that's a lot of wisdom right there. That's great. Let's go to number three. What's number three? And three actually ties right into that last point. It's just keep your head down, work hard forever. Stay humble. But most importantly, this is something that I struggled with and I continue to struggle with now is that imposter syndrome is a real thing. I remember during my, uh, during my internship that I walk in there like, hey, I feel like I know nothing. And, but I'm still expected to do things, and they always re- respond to it. Sometimes the phrase "fake it till you make it" is thrown around. Mm-hmm. But for some people, especially if you're already skeptic, skeptical, skeptical to begin with, you get you get imposter syndrome, and it can. And just remember that everybody started uh, knowing nothing, and there's only one way to know more, and it's to continue to read and continue to work hard for yourself and for the patients that rely on you. So imposter syndrome, I first heard about that at Google, right? Because Google hires these very brilliant people and they said that they all walk around feeling that they're not good enough to be there because they feel like I'm surrounded by geniuses at Google. And you know what? When you're learning this stuff, if you 
if you end up taking my advice and trying to get a an internship or a preceptorship with with one of these great functional neurology docs that we have all over the country, you may feel that as well, like I did. And it just comes down to put your head down, work hard forever, stay humble. Stay, yeah, stay hungry, work hard, stay humble. That's good advice. Well, listen, Dr. Lovich, I appreciate your time today. I, 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 I hope a lot of students download this podcast and listen to it because it will really shape the way they transition from school to practice and hopefully help many, many patients. So I really appreciate your time. Dr. Lovich, if somebody wanted to connect with you or learn more about you or your practice, how do they find you? So my website and uh, my business is called Delta S Performance. My website is deltasperformance.com. Uh, feel free to shoot me an email. Email is right on the website. I'll be happy to answer any questions that people have and help other students or other learners that are uh, that are going through the program and or trying to learn this stuff in general. Just may have questions because this is something that I feel like everybody needs to know, mm-hmm. but it's not easy stuff to learn. So it's good to have resources you can reach out to to ask questions to, and uh, that's got to be the most important part about learning have knowing where your resources are right well neuroscience is complex if anybody tells you it's not complex it'd be lying to you but can it get easy to do eventually with enough practice yeah and that goes down to your your third point right keep keep Mm -hmm. your head down keep working hard stay humble stay hungry and uh so awesome well listen i I love your share so delta s performance for your website and uh you know dr lovich i've i've referred patients to you uh because i trust you and i've learned i love what i've seen in your growth both professionally and clinically so i'm I'm just very impressed so and again thank you for your time thank you so much for having me on dr garcia If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the Contact Us page on careinstitute.com.